Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon. This is Toby Mathis. And Jeff Webb. And you're watching Tax Tuesday. First off, welcome in. Let's give everybody a chance to get into the room. They always flow in. It always seems to take a few minutes. And uh, we are also streaming. Andrew, where are we streaming? Are we streaming on YouTube? Let's see if Andrew actually responds. Oh, you're not even going to do it on a... They can hear me. How about somebody else? Oh, forget it. It's lost its joy. All right, let's see. Where is everybody from today? Oh, somebody's at the Trump International Hotel in Las Vegas. You're right across the street from where my wife likes to do damage. Fashion show mall. Anacortes. Anna Cortes, Quincy. There's Texas, New York, Anchorage, Manhattan Beach, Dallas, Seattle, Washington, Orange County, Bonnie Lake. I know that area too. Wow. A bunch of folks from Washington. Beautiful downtown Burbank. It's pretty. Redwood City, Las Vegas, a few Las Vegas, Tampa, beautiful beaches, Puyallup, God, Woodenville. We have a lot of Washingtons. You guys must be getting squeezed or something because you're on a, a lot of a lot of folks from the Pacific Northwest. There's Georgetown, Texas, just out of Austin. Uh, that's where Carl, one of our attorneys, grew up. So we like that area, Massachusetts, Colorado Springs. Orange, New Jersey. I think that's a famous place too. Seattle, of course. All right. So we have a lot of folks on to help answer your questions. Some of you guys are already going into the Q&A and and, uh, starting to ask the questions. So the way it works is real simple. You can ask questions via the chat. If it's something that we're hitting on immediately, like, hey, where are you from? And you put it in there. I can see there's Shoreline, Washington. I lived there for a while. Charlotte, North Carolina, Napa. Like I can see you chatting. Jeff can pretend to see you. Can you see that? I, I see the words, but I just can't see anything close to me, but I can read it across the room. So that's good. And then uh, we also have the Q&A where you can ask questions that are a little more detailed. So if it's going to be beyond a, a, a sentence, go to the Q&A. If you're just commenting on something that we're saying, or if it happens to be your question that we're going over today and we ask you questions, we get that a lot. Uh, we go back and forth, do it via chat. All right, let's jump in. I could already see the Q&A. We have Elliot uh, Thomas, an attorney, Troy Butler, who heads up our bookkeeping department. We have Matthew, we have Patricia, Patty. I can't call you Patricia. Uh, Pio's on and Dutch. Well, I can't believe Dutch and Pio are actually on. Dana, all these guys, we have a tax deadline today. So like they must be taking a break. Mm-hmm. They're probably all here till midnight last night, right? All right, so we have a whole bunch of folks on. Ander, and then also Kenny. So we have a bunch of people rolling around out there helping or in a support role. So we'll make sure that we get you guys taken care of. Uh, you can email us questions during the week at Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. There's never a cost. We don't sit there and bill you per question or anything like that. We just take your questions and we answer them. And if it's super detailed, we say, hey, you need to become a client first. Then we answer them. But for the most part, we're just shooting you quick responses. And it's out of that grouping that uh, we have staff that just grabs ones that they seem to say keep coming up and they'll grab questions and throw them over towards us and say, here, grab 10 or 15. 
it will make sure that that we get it. Oh, you guys can't see anything because I didn't click slide share. There we go. All right. So if like you guys could see the rules now, that would help, I suppose. All right, but it is supposed to be fast, fun, and educational. Jeff here's been a uh, a CPA just about as long as I've been alive. I'm just teasing. <laughs> it's uh, close to forty years, and uh, someday I'll be forty years old too. Yeah, whatever. Start. We we'll have to give you a nickname. It'll be something about old people. All right, let's go into the questions that we're going to be answering today because we have a lot of them. All right, if I buy an existing home inside an opportunity zone. Will I be able to save tax on the capital gains of keeping the property for 10 years? Good question. I sold a rental house that is in a trust. The trust sold the house. The trust is owned by my LLC. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll go over all these, by the way. I did a 1031 exchange. That's what 1031X means. And identified a storage facility that I am purchasing. If the LLC flows to my personal SS, social security number, for the 1031 exchange, could I purchase by creating a new LLC that also flows to my social security number? Or do I need to take title as the new property, uh, take title of the new property in the name of the trust or the LLC that owns the trust? And if you could tell that there's funky grammar, it's because I literally take your questions. We don't massage them. We just bring them right on out and put them in their, their whole glory. But I think we get the gist of that one. So we'll go over that. Sometimes we don't even get capital letters. No, no. I'm just not one. I just grab it. I try not to mess around with it or spend too much time with it. I like it to be real. Right. Mm. Don't put words in their mouth. We qualify. Yeah, I don't want to ever start rewriting your questions because it'll it'll become easier. Let's just put it that way. I'll be like, oh, that's a hard question. What if you had said this? Yes, it'll be the same question over and over again. All right. We qualified for a real estate professional in 2020. Two questions. We must qualify annually, correct? Two, if we had a cost seg done on property purchased in 2021, would the entire accelerated depreciation be able to be applied toward active W-2 income when total depreciation exceeds rental income? All right. So this one, obviously, we're going to break down when we, when we hit it. Example, cost seg for 100% of bonus depreciation is $30,000, rental income of $35,000, less ordinary necessary expenses, 30 k leaves net income of 5 k can the $30,000 bonus depreciation bring the rental income to zero and the remaining 25 k of bonus depreciation be applied towards W-2 income? I'll break it down for you guys. So don't worry, we'll get into that. Uh, we bought a second home in San Diego, COE probably closing, closing of escrow probably is November 4th, 2021. We're able to quickly turn it around and put it into service and did a handful of short-term rentals. You guys rock, hopefully you were listening. And uh, we'll explain why that's actually really cool. We'd like to see if we could do a cost segregation study now in 2022 and use some of the stepped-up depreciation for our 2021 tax return. We'll go over that. Good question to have. Good situation to be in. Crypto IRA. What legal options are available to structure an IRA participating in crypto? Personal and or trust IRAs, both traditional and Roth. Positive and negatives of each option. What risks are there? Regulation changes, et cetera. What, if any, risk is there of a policy change? And I have a legal crypto IRA already established, then losing the IRA tax privileges. Question mark. Good question. Can we briefly talk about non grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary spendthrift trusts? Sounds like they don't want us to go on and on. (laughs) Yeah. Some people are saying we can contribute our rental assets to this type of trust. Declare an extraordinary dividend, 
to the corpus of the trust and it would be tax-free. You get an extraordinary dividend. You get an extraordinary, no tax. We'll get into this. I'm going to give you the eye right now. You want to give them the eye, Jeff? Yeah, I'll give them the eye too. Giving you the eye. All right. Once you exhaust the 27 and a half years of depreciation on rental property, is there anything that can be done to provide an additional tax write-off for a rental property? It seems my tax repair uses the purchase price of my rental property 20 years ago to do the yearly depreciation for up to 27 and a half years. The property value now is triple, triple the cost of the purchase price. Can the depreciation amount be recalculated or am I stuck with the original calculated <coughs> amount? Good question. Question we get all the time, by the way. Sold a single family uh, residential December 2021. So a single family home in December and are in the process of a 1031. Our expenses of sale, i.e. repairs, painting, interior, replacing carpet deducted as expenses, or can they be used to increase the, the cost basis of the property? Good question. We'll d- dissect that one. My business partner and I have an LLC for our real estate investments. Our LLC is taxed as a partnership. Would it be better to convert our LLC to a S corporation? If so, why? Good questions we've got. Now, somebody went a little crazy and just kept putting questions on their list. And picked up ones and take up the whole time. I know. It's because it looked like a good question. I, I'm like, a, I'm like, it's like, oh, this one looks interesting. And it's just like moths to a flame. Well, it'll be like midnight when we get to it, but let's do it anyway. I have a property that was my primary residence. Our goal was to take advantage of both Section 121 and 1031 to minimize tax savings. We lived in it for 10 years and started renting on October 2020. We intend to sell it around June of 2023, so we'll have it occupied for two years out of the last five years. We were thinking of putting it into LLC as we have full-time tenants, but then we started to get concerned. What if we transferred ownership? We may no longer qualify for the $500,000 gains. So what should we do? Purchase the house for two sixty nine in 2011, and we'll likely sell for around nine hundred grand. Way to go. Nice return. Nice return. And who knows what? It'll probably be worth about $6 million in three years or two years, a year, a year and a half, because inflation is going up at about, I don't even know. What do you guys think inflation is going up at? You guys know that they they actually change the way we calculate inflation. I know that they did it in 20, uh, t- t- 1980, 1990, and I believe 2004, something like that. I, I know we go with a, a core inflation, they call it, where they disregard energy and housing, which is what's going up substantially. Yeah, he, 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 here's a trick. They did the, they changed the way it was calculated. I remember it was Newt Gingrich. And they kept saying that, hey, Social Security is getting hammered. If we use regular inflation, it's like way too high. So this will keep you from having the cost of living increase go up and having to give our seniors more money. No, we don't want that to happen. Because we wouldn't want that to happen. We wouldn't want the actual inflation because inflation is <laughs> going too high. We need to recalculate it so we don't have to give people more money that are in Social Security. So it's like, hmm. Yeah, if we used the 1982 methodology, because there's been a lot of that in the news, we said, Inflation hasn't been this high since 1982. Actually, if we calculated it the way it is in 1982, it'd be 15%. <sighs> it's huge. Yeah. Just look at real estate. All right. God, how many questions did I pick? You guys should not let me drink and pick Tax Tuesday questions. You should do an intervention. If I have oil and gas mineral rights in a traditional 
this uh, self-directed IRA and mm-hmm. want to convert them to a Roth self-directed IRA, can I use a third-party professional evaluator of mineral rights who will assess fair market value per SEC guidelines, et cetera, and provide well-documented paperwork that was used to determine fair market value at the time of conversion to determine fair market value to be used to do the Roth conversion? Would this increase the odds of a potential IRS audit or raise a red flag to the IRS in your opinion? Good question. Hope you know the answer. My father-in-law are selling a two-family uh, two-family home in New York and are both tenants in common. My in-laws live in one unit and rent the other unit out the whole time. My wife and I didn't live there two years of the last five. So I know my in-laws don't need to do 1031 exchange, but I need to. My wife and I are doing 1031 for a bigger investment property. My question is, is there a way my in-laws can gift their capital gain from this sell to my wife? So we can put it in as a down payment of a 1031 property. Oh, good question. We'll go over all the little implications. These are really good questions. I mean, this is why I grabbed too many. Bad Toby. Right. Sorry, guys. I always like watching people's response. <laughs> the government wouldn't <laughs> massage the numbers, would they? No, they're not masseuses. But they might mistake them. All right. How do I correct my tax returns for a basis error? On my vacation rental property, I incorrectly allocated too much building versus land. I understand that my depreciation expense will decrease. Good question. You guys are going to want to stick around for that one because it's for any of you guys that have ever screwed up on a tax return, it may not be what you think. All right, let's jump into this. Just real quick, we are on YouTube and specifically all these Tax Tuesdays end up taking perch in one of our spots. I'll make it make little things, noises and no, it's not making any noises. It, it look at the thing flashed. Here, I'll make it flash. Ooh. Um, but anyway, go to our ta- to our YouTube page. Uh, do the little subscribe. Click the little bell that so you can see it's up here somewhere. Oops, maybe not. Here, I have to use a pen now. Now that I've started down that path, there's like a subscribe thing. There's a little bell. Click a subscribe. You can see we're throwing lots of content up there. And yeah, hey, look, there's Tax Tuesday right there. You can actually come and watch us on uh, the stream so you can have some fun there. All right, let's get into the questions. If I buy an existing home inside an opportunity zone, will I be able to save tax on the capital gain if keeping the property for 10 years? Jeff? The the, uh, qualified opportunity zone had three benefits to it. There was the deferral, the step up, and the uh, payout. Mm Mm-hmm. So you still get the deferral. Uh, it's a shorter deferral now, but you still get the deferral. Mm-hmm. The step up in basis is now gone. It used to be you've got a 10% step up in the basis of your property that you put into the opportunity zone. Mm-hmm. The last part, the payout, is if you hold the, the property you put in there for 10 years, that's tax-free. And that still exists. So the one thing that's missing is that 10% step up in basis. Yeah. So when it came out, it was what, 10% after five years and then 15% after seven. Right. So the deferral, the deferral and the gain that you previously had, you have until 2026 to you defer just, that. You just said something. If you buy an existing home in an opportunity zone and you want to be underneath these three benefits, you have to be using capital gains. Mm-hmm. You can't just go buy a property in an opportunity zone. Step number one you have capital gains and you put them in an opportunity zone fund, which has to be a partnership, an S Corp, C Corp. It has to be an entity that's taxed in those three characteristics. 
then it has to acquire opportunities on property that qualifies. So if you buy a house, even with deferred funds, you're not out of the woods yet. Once you buy it, you have to improve that property. They actually mm-hmm. require that you increase the improvement value of that property, double it. So if you buy a house that's on land and the land is worth 100 and the house is worth 200, you have to put 200 grand into that house over a period of, you could, you could actually stretch it out over a period of years. Then after 10 years, you step up the basis whenever you decide to. I think you, could, I think you have to, you're, you're going to be treated as though you stepped it up in what, 2045 uh, or something like yeah. that. But you don't have to pay tax. So it's really powerful, but you have to jump through those hoops. Right. So the question for you is, do you want to jump through those hoops? If you just buy a house and you keep it there for 10 years, it's not going to do you any good. If you defer capital gain, you're going to pay tax on that capital gain. It's in. Uh, it's treated as though you sold the property that you're deferring. So let's say I sell a whole bunch of stock and I have $100,000 of deferral. And I take that $100,000 and I buy a piece of property in an opportunity zone. That gets me through step number one. I now have deferral of $100,000 that is taxable. It's going to be treated as though I sold that asset on 12-31-2026. So in 2027, I'm going to pay tax on $100,000. Let's say that $100,000 investment in that house, I put another 70 grand into it or whatnot. And now that house is worth $1 million after 10 years. I could sell it and pay no other tax. That's the power of an opportunity zone. Fun. See, you thought today was going to be boring. All right. I sold a house that was in a trust. The trust sold the house. Trust is owned by my LLC. Mm, no, LLC is probably a beneficiary. I did a 1031 exchange and identified a storage facility that I'm purchasing. Perfect. If the LLC flows to my personal SS, personal social security number, for the 1031 exchange, could I purchase by creating a new LLC that flows to my social security number? Or do I need to take title of the new property in the name of the trust or the LLC that owns the trust? Jeffrey. Since it is, this sounds like a disregarded LLC. Mm, maybe. Uh, since he's saying it's flowing to a social security. Anyway, I am of the opinion that the LLC that sold it or the trust that sold it needs to be the one purchasing the replacement property. If it's a disregarded entity and you form another disregarded entity, I don't know. What's your feelings on that? So that's it's happened. You have to take name to name on a 1031 exchange, mm-hmm. darker exchange. Then after you're done, there used to be this, oh, can I transfer it to a new entity? If the beneficiary hasn't changed, like the true beneficial ownership has not changed, you can switch the name on it. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. with that completely. So you're going to close in the trust. And then if you want to distribute the trust to a new LLC that's in your name, you certainly can do that, or you can just leave the trust. The problem is like guys like me, I use the address on the name of my trust. So I'll have the 123 Main Street Trust. And mm-hmm. if I go buy something else, you know, 456 Apple Street. It's kind of funky to have it in the one, two, three Main Street Trust, but I, I, I don't, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, cool. Rarely do I see 1031 exchanges in, in trust. Usually it's in an LLC. And if you have other partners in it, you do what's called a drop and swap. So uh, what's this? Bunch of questions coming in. looks like our guys are knocking them out though. But I was just, I get, I get distracted. I see good questions and I start wanting to answer them. All right. So let's just leave that one at that. Close in the name of the trust. Make your life so much easier. 
once you're done closing, then look at the LLC. Like you can close with the with another LLC as the beneficiary, but what really matters is what's on that title. And you might just want to keep it there. Uh, we qualified for real estate professionals. This is real estate professional status, section 469C7 of the code, very specific to real estate investors. And what it means is that they don't have passive losses. It becomes ordinary uh, non-passive loss. Two questions. We must file or qualify annually, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Two. So the answer is yes on that one. It's an annual test. If we had a cost seg done on a property purchased in 2021, would the entire accelerated depreciation be able to be applied toward active W-2 income when total depreciation exceeds rental income? So they use the example of a cost seg. The bonus depreciation is 30K. They have ordinary necessary expenses of 30K on, so they have net income of, of net operating income, is what I would say, of $5,000. And they have additional depreciation of $30,000. So do they get to take the $25,000 deduction? And and that goes back to whatever your answer is for question number one. Did you qualify to be real estate professional? Yeah. So this is 2021. So just because you're a real estate professional in 2020 does not mean you automatically qualify in 2021. Correct. So if you do qualify in 2021, you meet the test. Yes, this loss from this rental activity is going to offset any other income you have on your tax return. That's why we like real estate professional status. What if they're not a real estate professional? Is there anything else they could do? So that's a trick question. No. Uh, if, if it was short term, they'd have a better chance of it. But if it's long term, active participation. Oh, yeah. If they're making less than $150,000 or preferably less than $100,000, they can yeah. take up to $25,000. Yeah. That's, when, they, when I saw the $25,000, I was going, oh, there's actually two ways you can write that off. One is active participation where you manage the manager. Number two is the real estate professional status, which is a much harder status. Active participation, you go like this. Yep. I'm actively participating. Mm-hmm. I decided who the manager was. I'm in control of the property you're going to be an active participant, but it phases out between $100,000 and $150,000 of adjusted gross income, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. so you might be able to get to write that off anyway. But let's be real. If you're making $100,000 and you get a $25,000 deduction, plus you have your standard deduction, <laughs> I'm not going to minimize. I much prefer that deduction at when you're in the higher brackets, right? right. All right. Toby gets is going to get plaque for that. Apologize, guys. We bought a second home in San Diego. It's, uh, it looks like in November. And we're able to quickly turn it around and put it into service. Good job. You guys might get rewarded for that. And did a handful of short-term rentals in 2021, right? We would like to see if we could do a cost segregation study now in 2022 and use some of the stepped-up depreciation for our 2021 tax return. Jeff, what do you think? If you are considered to have materially participated in that short-term rentals, that's actually pretty easy to do. Yeah, you get a big fat write-off. And you have up until the extended due date of your return to get that cost segregation done for Mm -hmm. 2021. Yeah, you actually can do the cost segregation study right up until you file your tax return. Mm -hmm. Assuming that it's was this was in something that went to your tax return. Mm-hmm. So if this was a corporation, no. If this was an LLC disregarded to you, yes. If it was an LLC disregarded to an LLC 
that is taxed as a partnership that flows to you, yes, you could do it. Anything that flows to you, you're going to be good. And you have to materially participate. What this means is that the loss on this, so they, they put it into service and the IRS doesn't care whether you were in service for a week or 11 months. Bonus depreciation is I bought it in that tax year, put it into service. Can I take a big, huge deduction? The answer is yes. And it's ordinary loss. The only question is, is it passive or non-passive? Passive just means you didn't materially participate. Material Mm -hmm. participation is one of seven tests. There's seven tests under it. The easiest one is if you manage these yourself, because there's no way you hit hundred hours or the other tests on this property. So it's, did you manage it yourself? If you did, you're in luck. If you didn't, then you're going to have a passive carry forward. And using a service like Airbnb does not disqualify you from that materiality test. Yep. It's, it's what, what happens is if let's say that, so you bought a second home in San Diego, that's telling me that you probably are living there. If, if that may be a faulty assumption, but if you're in a different, like if, if, if I'm in Las Vegas and I buy a house in San Diego and I'm using it as Airbnb, the court's going to say, no, you're not materially participating because you have somebody else doing it for you. If it's in your town, you're going to be in luck. If you're out there, whoever wrote this, let me know in the chat whether uh, whether that's in your town. I love I love it when we give some good news because Jeff's always giving people bad news. He's always telling them they can't write things off. And I'm like, Gosh, Jeff, like bedsides matter because he usually goes, "Boo, you can't write that off," and you're going to prison forever. Yeah, he he, he gets the he has one of those orange jumpsuit costumes. He always just hands on the orange jumpsuit and says, here you go. This is, this is a, this is, no, he never does that. Jeff's one of the really good CPAs. It's really nice. And he's always trying to think of how can we help the client? But uh, anyway, let's see anybody out there in chat that anybody else out there do short-term rentals that put something in service towards the end of the year. I love talking to those guys. Cause they're like the fun ones. They're like, Hey, do you know, you can write that off. They're like what, what, what? So bonus depreciation, it's about 30% of the, depreciable value on a house. Jeff always smiles when he says no. <laughs> it's wait, is he talking about you or your wife? <laughs> Sorry. All right. Hey, oh, oh, how to make money and save the world. Jeff, this is the Candelarios. This is really cool. We're doing this on, <laughs> do you still have to be a real estate professional? No, because, uh, when you're doing here, I'll go back to that. When when you're doing short-term rentals, it's not rentals. If it's seven days or less, average daily, uh, average guest usage, it is ordinary income. So you may as well be a plumber. That's uh, considered trader business. It's not considered rentals. Yep. We have some of you guys, a bunch of people are popping in now. A remote condo in Boston. I live in Portland. I remote manage the two Boston condos. So you're able to do it. So Lillian, you're able to do it from long-term. If you're managing those things and nobody else is providing substantial services, you could actually accelerate the depreciation and offset. Oh, it's long-term rentals. Though. So if it is, if it's over seven days, it's between eight and 30 days and you provide substantial services, it's not rental. If it's extraordinary services, then even if you go six months rentals, but it's like a recovery clinic or something, it's not rental. But if you don't provide any services other than here's the house then it's finished, then it's rental. Sorry to get deep on you guys. All right. So we let's go back to saving the world. The Candelarios. I'm going to be doing an event on Saturday with the Candelarios. They're really cool people. Years ago, I met them. 
they were doing transitional housing, or they were trying to do transitional housing at the time in King County, Washington. And since that period of time, they have just exploded. So they have a bunch of houses up in Seattle, a bunch of, uh, they're working all over the country now. I think they're down in Florida. But one of the really cool things is they do transitional housing, which is the shared housing idea. It's like taking a house, instead of renting out the whole house, you break up the rooms. And in King County, they get, uh, what is it, $850 per bed. Let me rephrase that. They get $850 a bed for a 10-bed home because they have to put two people per room and they have a five-bedroom homes. It is cheaper for King County to incarcerate people that way, right? So nonviolent offenders, in their case, it's women, nonviolent offenders, and it's, it's significantly less expensive than housing them in a jail and more appropriate. And they get guaranteed 10 beds. Like, so they're getting making, what is it, $8,500 a month on it per mm-hmm. house. And you could just keep doing that, doing that, doing that. The reason that we teach these is because there's also a nonprofit component to it. If you're, in, if you're trying to help people that are going through dependency, if you're trying to help people that are doing transitional housing, there is so much opportunity there. And more importantly, there's so much need, unmet need. And it's just one of those really important. Are they staffing these homes? They don't have to. They actually, the parole officer can come over and check it out. And uh, they're non-drinking, no, uh, nobody can come over after hours. They go to work, they come back. It's very, what do you say, regimented, mm-hmm. but they can get into all that. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a very interesting area that we're seeing more and more people getting into because it, let's be real. You got BlackRock in the single family residential zone buying up houses and how you're supposed to compete with somebody who gets their house at an interest rate that's a half of what you can get. So, uh, and they're buying it at ridiculously stupid cap rates. So it's like either you chase them or you find a way that they can't, they can't possibly enter into. So we're seeing in this case, it's usually about three times what a typical rental will go for. And uh, you don't have to do anything. Like you could work with organizations. I do. I rent to both autistic homes and to transitional housing. Patty has to deal with it more than I do because she does all of our handles, all of our rentals, but it's really easy. We, we rent to an organization and they have people that they place. And so you could be that too. I get about 20% higher rents and I feel good about myself because I'm trying to do something that's meaningful. All right. That's enough of that. If you want to come, Patty shared the link. It's absolutely free. Crypto IRA. What legal options are available to structure an IRA participating in crypto? Crypto being, let's just call it Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the funky coins. Uh, what is it? Shiba? Doge. Doge. Personal and or trust IRAs, both traditional and Roth, positives and negatives for each option. What risks are there? Blah, blah, blah. Are there any risk of policy changes? If you already have a crypto IRA established, what about losing IRA tax privileges? What do you think? Uh, the first thing I thought about when I read this question was the effects of doing each of the answering each of these questions really does not depend on the crypto. It's just a form of investment. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to put securities into an IRA and wanted to convert them to a Roth, it would be the same with doing a crypto. They treat them the same. Yeah, having crypto in there really makes absolutely no difference. But what are the risks of legislation? Legislation. You may be aware that uh, Biden recently signed an executive order about crypto. Really didn't change much. One of the things it's doing is having the Treasury Department look into coming up with their own coin, virtual currency. 
maybe more protections to avoid fraud and stuff like that. The one policy changes I know are going to happen in the future is I think there are going to be more regulations about reporting income and stuff like that. We've seen that all along since crypto came out, that they're slowly building up kind of the way the the security brokers have had to do. (laughs) We have to do this, but anything about Biden. (laughs) All right. Everything Jeff said is absolutely 100% correct. It's just a capital asset right now. And uh, what are the changes? What are they? It's not going to be retroactive change for an IRA. If if they change it to something that an IRA can't hold, they'll probably give you a year to to relinquish those assets and get them out of there, put something else in its place. I, I mean, there has been talk of uh, eliminating the Roth. I would think if they ever did that, I don't see it happening. But if they did that, would it would only be good going forward? You can't create a new Roth from some yeah. point forward. They might do that. I mean, they've talked about uh, in the Build Back Better, these large IRAs and what to do if they have too much assets in them. And they just start saying, hey, you have to, you have to take required minimum distributions of 50%, you know, stuff like that. So they could say, hey, we're going to accelerate. You need to get rid of these things and we want everything out. But I mean, all it is, is an, an individual retirement arrangement is what an IRA is actually. We always misstate the account part, but whatever, everybody does it. It's really just saying, hey, institution, you have custodian that allows certain types of investing. Mm-hmm. The, the custodians are the one that restrict the investing. You can literally do pretty much whatever you want inside of an IRA. If you want to collect gold, you can. You just can't take physical possession. You could do a lot of different things in an IRA. 401k, same thing. In that particular case, you could potentially take physical possession of certain types of coins. The reason I bring that up is because there's a wallet that a lot of crypto goes into. And there's a discussion as to whether you have unfettered control of that wallet would cause a taxable event the same way it would if you had unfettered control of bullion. And in an IRA, it would be a deemed distribution. In a 401k, it wouldn't. So if I was you and you were worried, I might be looking at a self-directed 401k. I don't need a custodian that way. I'm under some different rules. And I might be able to do, or you just go get a safety deposit box in the name of the entity and put all your crypto in a cold wallet and put it someplace or have a fiduciary hold on to it for you. As long as it's not in your unfettered control, I think you're never going to have an issue. That said, there's some precedent on changing laws retroactively. I think it's a government taking. It hasn't been handled in the Supreme Court. The people that apply, that say that you're allowed to do that misread the case because the case didn't actually involve an actual taking, but it's been read to be that way. Most likely, nobody wants to pick that fight. They're just going to, if they decide they want to target crypto, there's going to be a phase out period. But I I don't see them targeting crypto. Mm -hmm. It's basically a capital asset at this time. Why would they change it? All right. Can we briefly talk about non-grantor irrevocable complex discretionary spendthrift trusts? So somebody's been on the internet too much. I was just thinking right. that. <laughs> Some people are saying we can contribute our rental assets to this type of trust, declare an extraordinary dividend to the corpus of the trust, and it would be tax-free. <clears throat> Do you have your orange jumpsuit somewhere? I hate those people. I know who they are, too. It's like, I just, yeah. Actually, go ahead. Yes, you can put your rental property into an irrevocable spendthrift trust. Mm-hmm. However, it's a gift to the trust. It's going to come out of your estate. So you you gift this property. That's all well and good. Now it's you're going to have to start filing 1041s, the trust tax return for that trust. 
Now, when we get down to the extraordinary dividend, here's why I have issue. Normally, when we talk about a trust receiving extraordinary dividends, and this only has to do with the, the calculation of DNI, distributable net, distributable mm-hmm. net income. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary dividends usually come from entities that you don't own. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when it's what is it, more than 10% of the value of the stock? Yeah, I could actually make it easier. Make it easier. There are no such thing as extraordinary dividends in a complex trust. It's for subpart B. I know the provision, I forget the name of the code. It's for simple trusts. In a simple trust, you're required to distribute the asset out. But if the Mm -hmm. trustee elects a extraordinary dividend, an extraordinary dividend is something you can't control. So it's like a cash dividend or stock stock dividend. Stock dividend. And that's what it was written for. This is a long, long time ago statute. And what companies would do is say, hey, we're going to get issue you 50 new shares of your company. And they said, oh, when you're forced to distribute money out every year in a simple trust, that's what a simple trust is. I'm distributing all the assets. I don't have to distribute those shares. I can apply them to corpus. That's what this is about. Whoever said you could do a rental, I know who these people are. And I think that they should be investigated. It's a bunch of crud. That's not what it says. That's not what an extraordinary dividend is. An extraordinary dividend can be a cash dividend. That's actually how it's defined in the code. But if you actually go back to when this thing was written, that is not what this is about. And the people that do this, they walk people into trouble all the time. And then they disappear whenever all heck breaks down. And those those last couple of words, be tax-free. What all all this does is in a simple trust, the way you said, Mm -hmm. the beneficiaries aren't paying the tax on it. it. The trust is still paying tax on it. So simple trust distributes the income rights in it. And it does not distribute the corpus. So the corpus is like, let's say I have a whole bunch of shares. Mm -hmm. It distributes the income. So a dividend is typically income. If if you have rent, then the property itself is, is the corpus. The rents, it's required to distribute. And what they're trying to do is twist this thing to say, oh, they could elect to treat it as an extraordinary dividend. That's not what it is. Mm-hmm. And they have a private letter ruling from something that doesn't say what they say it says it is. And they always try to hang their hat on it. And they're a bunch of goons. Uh, run, you, run. You also have to uh, decrease your basis by that extraordinary. You have to, yes, you do, which means you're going to have a much bigger taxable event at some point in the future. Yeah. Except you, what you do is you distribute it. You, you change it to a complex trust before you distribute it. And then distribute everything out, which you're trying to do that because trusts have very, very small brackets. Like after 13,000, you were at 37%. So you could get caught and crushed if you have money that stays in a trust and doesn't get distributed. And you know where I've seen spendthrift trusts used most are for people you don't want to have the money. Yes. Oh, they're just distorting. They're just absolutely. These people, I've, I've run into them over the years, 20-something years of doing this. Trust me. And they always say, oh, it's a lawyer. And it's a Supreme Court decision. I'm like, but yeah, which one? And then they go, well, it's this lawyer. And I say, well, which lawyer? And I talk to the lawyer. And he's like, well, I have this. It's a, it's a private letter ruling. I'm like, you can't rely on a private letter ruling. It's only applicable to the one who actually wrote it. You can't even use it as precedent. So what are you talking about? Well, and then it doesn't even talk about what you're saying it talks about. Like, have you guys got your own private letter ruling? No, we're flying beneath the radar. Just run when you see stuff like that. Like, oh, go back one. Go back and yeah, run and uh, get your track shoes on. All right. Once you exhaust the 27 and a half years to do, <laughs> can't help it. I just see these things and I'm just like, I already know who these people are. They're the ones that go like this. 
but I'm right. And they're in the little cell and you're in there with them. Once you exhaust the 27 and a half years of depreciation on a rental property, is there anything that can be done to provide an additional write-off on a rental property? It seems my tax preparer uses the purchase price of my rental property 20 years ago to do the yearly depreciation for up to 27 and a half years. The property value now is triple the cost of the purchase price. Can the depreciation amount be recalculated or am I stuck with the original calculated amount? Mm. So the depreciation system has been called ACRES and MAKERS. The the CRS and MAKERS is cost recovery system. Mm -hmm. So when you're depreciating, what you're doing is the government is allowing you to write off a certain percentage of your cost every year. Mm -hmm. Once you fully depreciate that property, there is no more depreciation. Unless you do something like improvements or... There you uh, go. Yeah. So, you know, so what they're looking at is, hey, can I increase it? Yeah. You, you put a betterment on the property. So you put a new roof on, for example, what could they do? So somebody they're 20 years in, they've had to replace the roof mm-hmm. or if they haven't, they're about to. Yep. What can they do with that? Well, they, they can start depreciating that again. And they can get a deduction for whatever the value of that roof is that they haven't taken. Correct. To. Uh, one thing I thought about is 1031 exchange, but that doesn't work because you get the basis of the old property. The, the only thing I c- could see somebody doing in this is if you want to rewrite it off and you're feeling kind of cheeky about it and you're going to keep it, and you're never going to get rid of it. You've already had it for 20 years. You're probably going to keep it for another 20, mm-hmm. maybe do an escort and sell it to the escort. If you sell it to the escort at the new price, you're going to have a calculation of an installment sale coming back mm-hmm. to you versus the increased depreciation. And you could sit with an accountant and do those numbers to see if it makes sense to you. The problem is that now you have property in an S-corp and you really need to die with it (laughs) to get it out of there. Otherwise, you could have an adverse tax event. But if you're going to keep it forever, you might want to look at that because then you can get a new basis. Yeah. But you'll have recapture. You'll have capital gains. It's just you might be able to spread it out over, you know, at least let's just say 30 years, or if you're too old, they might look at your life expectancy and say, Hey, let's make sure, you know, so if you're, if you're over, uh, what would be probably 65, 70, you might want to do life expectancy table to make sure the IRS doesn't contest it. But I, you might want to look at something like that. Accelerate some of your depreciation again. Yeah. Yeah. So there great ideas. All right. Sold a single family residence in December of 2021, and you're in the pro- they're in the process of a 1031 exchange. Are expenses for sale, repairs, painting the interior of the house, replacing carpet, deducting as expenses? Can you deduct them or do they increase the basis? Uh, most of them that they talked about, and you did use the word repairs, but carpet mm-hmm. and paint is always deductible as a repair. Mm-hmm. You never capitalize that. But Anything that's really truly repairs, I'd write it off as a rental expense. Because if it goes to basis, you're not getting any benefit out of it, right. except you can, but I mean, you're rolling the basis for it. So you don't even get extra depreciation. No. Yeah. So boo. So we want to write it off. Yes. You want to write that off in 2021 too. You do not want to include it in your rollover of your 1031 exchange. All right. My business partner and I have an LLC for our real estate investments. Our LLC is classified as a partnership. Would it be better to convert our LLC to an S corporation? If so, why? What do you think? No, I wouldn't convert it to an S corporation. Uh, I don't see any reason to do it. 
Well, the problem is that you have real estate investments and you put it into an S-corp. If you ever take, like, if you ever have to refi that property, mm-hmm. here's the problem with an S-corp. If it's a partnership, I could just take the money out. It's a distribution. Yeah. And I could, and if, and I have to take the property out to refi it, I can do that. In an S-corp, that's a taxable event. Yeah. And it's taxed as ordinary income. Bad, right? It's, it's taxed as wages technically to you. There's one other thing that keeps popping into my head. It's the at risk. If you don't have basis in your S corp and you have losses on these properties, you can't take them. And that, and that's a really good point. If if I have rental property in a partnership and I have a mortgage on it, I can take so that loss. I can take that loss. That gives me basis on the my property. Losses. Yeah. So if you're doing a cost seg or something, if I have a property rental property in my S corp and I have a mortgage on it, it does me no good at all. I have to be at risk. It actually the loan has to be in my name. It can't even be in the S corp name. Yep under those circumstances for me to get to write it off. Or I have to have basis, which means I have a whole bunch of cash that allows me to take a deduction. So here's an easy answer. Would it be better to convert our S to our LLC to an S corporation? No. If so, why? See previous answer. All right. YouTube again and podcasts and watching replays. If you're not tired of, of Tax Tuesday, you can go and get some more. Yes, we do this every other week. And yes, we pretty much act the exact same way, which is we like to be very transparent and we don't hide our feelings. But if you want to jump on to YouTube, <laughs> Jeff will throw a orange jumpsuit at you and I'll tell you to run from crazy people doing crazy tax things. Oh, hey, there's a good one, actually. Five best investments for inflation. I think it's actually applicable. So there's a bunch of fun stuff. And they're starting to put my Buffett stuff up. I'm a big Buffett fan. If you like value investing, plan your finances like Buffett. Oh, I know what I did. That's the uh, the, the snow and the, I've been, the, the long hill and the wet snow quote. I've been kind of enjoying that one recently. All right. I have a property that was my primary residence. Our goal was to take advantage of both section 121 and 1031 to minimize or maximize tax savings. We lived in it for 10 years and started renting in October 2020. We intend to sell it around June of 2023, so we'll have occupied it two of the last five years. We were thinking about putting it in an LLC as we have full-time tenants, but then started to get concerned that if we transferred ownership, we may no longer be qualified for the $500,000 in gain from Section 121. What should we do? We purchased the house for 269000 in 2021 and will likely sell it around 900000 My house is going for 900000 Hmm? A lot of houses going for 900. Yeah, they're printing cash and handing it out to everybody. You want some cash? <sighs> Here's some. Since you own the property, I think if you put it in an LLC disregarded to you, you don't have an issue. Mm-hmm. But what if it's a husband and wife in a non-community property state? So I would be very careful on that one. One, one spouse being on ownership is attributable to both. So if you put it in an LLC that was a single owner and you named your living trust or one spouse as the owner, I think you'd still be okay. Because there's actually a case where um, the IRS gave guidance on having a property in an LLC and still qualifying for the 121 exclusion. But I believe they said it had to be a disregarded LLC. So you do not want to put it in there if you are uh, in a non-community property state. So you're in a separate property state and you both are owners you generate a partnership return, I think you just put your 121 exclusion in jeopardy. If you just do a disregarded LLC and have one of you on or um, put 
one person on as the uh, as the owner of the LLC, maybe as trustee of your trust, then I believe you're good. And the reason they're doing this, guys, they'd get a $500,000 exclusion. So it's going to take them up to, let's just say it's extra 500. So they're going to have no tax on what is that? Nine, six. And they can still 1031. They're remaining, what is that? One, 31. You guys are going to see how crappy my math is. 231K. So this would be 121. And the 231 would be part of the 1031 exchange. They'd pay zero tax if they did this, as long as it's within three years. And then the depreciation that they grabbed during those three years, they would roll into the 1031. So they'd have literally no recapture. They'd have no capital gains. Mm-hmm. Their basis would step up to the 769. So some of you guys might be saying, why wouldn't they just do a 1031 exchange? Because the basis doesn't increase and you want the basis to increase. Right. So question for you. Uh, they started running in October of 2020 and they're planning on selling June of 2023. I'm not sure I would wait that long mm-hmm. just because they're, they're planning on waiting until almost the end of the five-year period to sell the property. Make sure that you can close before. Right. Yeah, you have until... October of 2023. So you have, you're giving yourself about a four month stretch, but things can go badly wrong. Yep. We've seen it. 2007, 2000. Oh, you're thinking about what if the market, you know, tanks, you might want to, yeah, you might want to look at it and say, maybe we should take a, uh, what is it? A bird in the hand. You might want to take that bird in the hand. If you're getting good price now, put it into something else, buy something. Oh, it looks like you already have, um, did they have some? No, they haven't. They, no, this is that was the one before where they had somebody already identified. You're, you, you might want to think about selling it and, and, and capturing the benefits in case something does happen in the market. We've actually had a couple of people said, "Hey, the market could go down." Guys, I use something called the uh, the Schiller Index, K Schiller Index on home prices, and I compare it to the same thing for rental of a of, of a similar unit. So if if you could buy a house. For X, you could rent it at a value of, of Y. You're looking at those two things and saying, are there enough people renting that house at a high enough amount that it would support the purchase price? And the ratio goes from about 1.3 to 1.6. 1. 1.6 is 2007, right? Right before it toppled over. Mm-hmm. 1.3 is kind of most of the time and it's going up to 1.5 right now. So it's going like this. Prices of houses are starting to outpace rental. Doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, but right now it's going the wrong direction, which means we probably have six months to a year before it peaks out. And then it's just a matter of time. There's no, nobody has a crystal ball, but if you have inflation, if you have, uh, you have to compete against inflation. So you have to raise interest rates and you've already seen runaway, uh, exuberance in the in the rental market and you have BlackRock doing what they do and everybody's fighting for homes and we're underbuilt by 3 million homes mm-hmm. you could see at least the top end start to topple over so you're at a 900,000 you're 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 right there i didn't see much pain in things under 200,000 in vegas and that was we lost 75% of our values and you still had a very robust market for anything in the 200,000 and below because they were all rentals and everybody needed rental properties. And that was in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. I can't see that being any different this time other than that number instead of being 200 would probably be closer to 300. So you're on the kind of the higher end. You might want to think about selling and maybe getting a few houses 
because uh, you can 1031 exchange into multiple properties. All right. I have oil and gas mineral rights in a traditional self-directed IRA. And I want to convert them to a, to a Roth. Can I use a third-party professional evaluator of mineral rights who would assess fair market value for SEC guidelines and provide well-documented paperwork that was used to determine fair market value at the time of conversion to determine value to be used for the Roth conversion? What they're really saying is, I don't know what it's worth. <clears throat> if we get it valued, can I convert that to a Roth? I absolutely. And, and, and I'll tell you how they're going to do this. If it's a working interest, which it shouldn't be in an IRA, they're going to give you a multiple like two times annual revenue. If it's a leasehold interest, which is perfectly fine in an IRA, they're probably going to give you a five-time multiple Mm -hmm. of annual rental. Just to give you an idea of what they're going to come up with. But yes, I would get a professional evaluator. They're probably going to just look at numbers. They're not even going to come out and look at the property or anything. Is it it something where they would get an appraisal? Or Probably some kind of appraisal or evaluation of the leasehold. Because if we were giving it away, like if we were putting it in a charity, then we'd have to we get definitely the, we would have to attach it. But or if we were gifting it to anybody, yeah, we'd we'd have to have that appraisal. I'm just taking a look. Somebody's asking about. I think the Fed is one of the when is the Fed meeting? Is it tomorrow? I don't know. Uh the Federal Reserve. When is when is the Fed reading meeting? Wednesday. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, they're reading. So watch it. My guess is, yeah, 25 to 50 basis points. You think so? They're going to have to. What are they going to do? Are they going to tank the market? I don't think they're sure what to do at this point. I don't think we've ever been here before. Like Anybody who says that we're the same as, you know, they're relating it to Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry, Jimmy Carter didn't have $8 trillion dumped in by the Fed. Like Inflation was pretty predictable. More cash, less goods, higher inflation. You don't have to blame it on anybody. Powell said 25 basis points. Yeah, so if he jumps it, to 50, then you might see the market react. Otherwise, it'll probably be, if he does what he says, I think it runs. But who knows? And yeah. you know why Powell still has that job. Nobody else wants because, it. Yeah, everybody else is kind of like, this guy did it. Uh, you answered this one well. Hey, uh, on, on that, if you get uh, the evaluation or um, appraisal or something, you don't have to submit that to the IRS. You just it's have not a red flag. It. It's not a red flag. They're just happy that you're paying the tax. Yeah. And yeah. they're so killed right now. IRS is so far behind, guys. How long is it taking you to get a response in anything in writing? Oh, geez, well, months and months and months. Six months, yeah. nine months. And I believe I heard that they were going to give all this money to the IRS to hire people, and then they cut it back. Well, where are they going to find people? True. All right. Oops, did I just do something goofy? No, this nope. is right. My father-in-law are selling a two-family home in New York, duplex, <laughs> and we're both tenant in law, or tenant in commons. My in-laws live in one unit and rent the other out the whole time. My wife and I didn't live there for two years or the last five years. So I know my in-laws don't need to do 1031 exchange, but I need to. My wife and I are doing 1031 exchange for bigger investment property. My question is there a way my in-laws can gift the capital gain from this sale to my wife so we can put it as a down payment of a 1031 exchange property. This was a doozy. It's actually pretty easy when you think about it. You have two units, right? So you have Mm -hmm. a duplex, one and two. Two is equal to a rental and it's owned by X. One is owned by parents, because this is a pri- uh, principal residence, and it's owned by the parents. We'll just call them Y. Mm-hmm. Parents meet the 121 exclusion, two of five years, and they own their portion of the property as tenant in common. X is an investor, so it could be 1031 exchange. You could 1031 even a regular. The problem is, how do we get the cash that's excluded? Can they gift that? Can we do a gift? And the answer is yes. 
you can gift up to about $12 million each for a lifetime exclusion, but you're going to have to file your gift tax return. So the big question is how much gain is there on their side and how much of that exclusion are they going to use? Right. And, uh, but yeah, that, it, it sounds like that's what they're doing. You still have to 1031 exchange your interest. So here's my question, Toby. They said they're tenants in common on this single building. Mm-hmm. So would they each own half, half of it? Yep. That's what I would do. So a tenant in common just means a. Or, or would you say that like you have one is uh, the parents half and two is the kids half? Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay. But we don't know which half it's happening. It sounds like it's a duplex, but. I might be reading more in there. Duplex makes it easy because like if you live in a duplex, you can 1031 one half and keep and do it. <laughs> so all they're doing is they have somebody else. Now, the other route you go is if you don't want to mess around, they don't want the 121 exclusion. They can just gift you the property and you get it at their basis. So if you then sell it under a 1031 exchange, you would just roll the whole basis into the new property. Right. So that's another route you could go. Anyway, fun stuff. All right. How do I correct my, ta- this is the one of my uh, favorites. How do I correct my tax returns for basis error on my vacation rental property? I incorrectly allocated too much to building versus land. I understand that my depreciation expense will decrease. I like that you made this the last question. Why? It's a good question. Hmm. So you've heard us talk about uh, changing the accounting method and having to complete the godforsaken form 3115 to change your accounting method and so forth, especially if you miss depreciation. This ain't that. Mm -hmm. This is a change in accounting estimate, Mm -hmm. which means if you see it's wrong on last year's return, you go in and correct the numbers on this year's return. Yep. You don't actually have to go back. This is one of those weird things is if I screw up something on a return, but I thought I was right when I did it, Mm -hmm. I'm under no no legal obligation to go back and restate it. So as long as you're not adding new... uh, cost categories like five-year or seven-year property. And and it doesn't sound like it. You're just moving from building land to building, and that's perfectly okay. What about it's a vacation rental? So it sounds like I always wonder whether, I mean, maybe it's, maybe I hear vacation, I immediately think second home, Mm -hmm. but it's a vacation rental. Maybe it's, they own a piece of, maybe it's a rental property that it's a vacation rental for other people. Maybe it's a uh, Airbnb, who knows? But it's, I always wonder whether there's personal use, in which case a proportion of it would be used personal and proportion of it. What if they missed, what if they screwed that up? Uh, They would have to go back and amend returns. Still not a change of accounting method. It's just, you screwed up the prior calculations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Typically, if you have more than 14 days of personal use or 10% of the total rent time, um, your losses are going to be limited to your income. You're not Mm going to be able to recognize any losses on the property. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here, I got to go back to this one. Somebody says, if the parents gift their half of the duplex, it would be valued at fair market value, not their basis, correct? Sound like no. you said the opposite. So your basis, when you gift, like if I gift Jeff a $1,000 share of Tesla that I bought for 50 bucks, there's a gift of $1,000, but his, his basis is 50 bucks. He inherits or he gets my basis in the property, but the fair market value is what, what goes over, right? Uh, for for their cost? Mm-hmm. No, they're, they step into your shoes. So the cost, the basis, depreciation. Right, right. No, that's what I'm saying is the basis, but but the value of the gift would be the fair market value of, of yes. the property. And that's right. where it can really bite you in the butt is if you have a $100,000 property that's now worth a million. 
you're and using up the, the twelve million dollar exclusion, million, right? But your basis is whatever the parents correct is. Yeah. So I was just saying, want to make sure that there's two things. I'm giving Jeff a gift of a house, and he's the fair market value is what we have to use. But he gets my basis. In other words, I can't sneak around and say, "Hey, Jeff, you pay it at yours." Yeah, um, I'm. I'm not going to gift any appreciated property to my children. They're going to have to wait till I die, and it's actually for their benefit. <laughs> you're so not mean. me dying. But. Oh, they did say it is a duplex, by the way. So the people are on. Yeah. So that's how you do it. Like, what would I do if I was in this scenario? Is I might just have the parents. Well, I'd want to make sure it's. I want to use my 121 exclusion. I'm kind of greedy on those things. And then I'd say, hey, give it to me when they're all said and done. And they can just give you the cash. You sell your half. If you're buying another property, you could use that extra money to, to add to that property. Your mm. basis is actually higher in that property that way. So you can depreciate it better if it's another investment property. So that's what I would do is I'd say, hey, let's sell it. I sell my half as a 1031 exchange. Parents sell their half, take the cash, gift it. We don't have to worry about anything. There's no tax on them. There's no tax on the gift. You can now take that cash and add it to the money that you received on your sale of your half, and you can buy more property, which is going to get you more depreciation. All right. We're at the end, guys. Thank you so much for coming in. Make sure that if you have questions during the weeks that are in between, we do these every other week. So by all means, send it in tax Tuesday at andersonadvisors.com. We do answer every question that we can get our hands on. We pick a few to do during these types of events, uh, during the actual Tax Tuesday. And then somebody says, why can't you transfer the property to your kids with a life estate? Won't they get the step up in basis? No, you actually screw that up when you do that. So no, 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 no. All, if get, you, all if, gifts if, are at cost. Yeah. And well, if he gets a life estate, they would devalue the property. Oh, the, gift, the gift would be at it. And then would it step up when, the, when, they're, when they're passed? The, the kids own it, subject to a life estate. Yeah. So if you gave your kids a life estate, then it would be the opposite. Then you'd get a basis up to step up. All right. Our guys answered over, looks like a hundred questions today. So thank you to Elliot, Dana. Did you have something you want to just interrupt? Did you want to talk about your next tax Tuesday? Uh, Next tax Tuesday. It's in two weeks, right? Yeah. Where are you going to be in two weeks? Oh, I'm going to be in Hawaii. That's right. Okay. I'll be in Hawaii next (laughs) Tax Tuesday. Will I be? Yeah, I will be. And we'll have a special guest from what I understand. Will we? Who? Michael. Bowman? Yeah. Oh, so Michael. See, I'm the last guy to know. No, I probably knew this. <laughs> I'm going to get Michael to start drinking some. The, he does not like Tax Tuesday. He does not like getting asked questions out of the blue. Yeah. All right. So it's Hawaii with Michael Bowman. He's fun. So what I sometimes yes. do is I pick questions that there's no way he's going to know the answer. And then I ask him because it's just fun to watch him freak out. It's kind of enjoyable. We all get stuff. Nobody knows anything or nobody knows everything. So uh, anyway, so thank you, Elliot, Troy, Matthew, Pio, sometimes Pio, I don't know, Dana, Dutch, Patty. Who else did we have on there? Ander. And uh, we could, we could thank Patty twice. She does a good job. So these guys do that. I'll be in Oahu next week. So there we go. We're going to be in Maui for the executive retreat. We do that. Uh, we try to do it every year. We had to punt this one from October till April because uh, of all the restrictions that were on that island. But we're going to go out and have some goofy time. We do that with investors. We horse trade and and uh, drink a lot. And I think it's a good thing. I'm just teasing. I might have a lava flow. I can't even. I have to put my pinky out when I drink. All right, guys. 
Really enjoyed it today. If you have questions, email them on in. If not, we will see you in two weeks. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.